0: Hello, welcome to the Self-Learning Podcast by Dr. Shishma Singh. Let us start discussion on Chapter 4, Change and Development in Ruler Society. And our topic is the Impact of Land Reforms and subtopic is the Colonial Period. There are historical reasons why each region of India came to be dominated by just one or two major groups but it is important to realize that this aggregarian structure has changed enormously over time from the pre-colonial to the colonial and after independence while the same dominant caste were probably also cultivating caste in the pre-colonial period They were not the direct owners of land, instead ruling groups such as the local kings or jamindars or landlords who were also politically powerful in their areas and usually belonged to Kshatriya or other higher caste controlled the land the peasants or cultivators who worked the land had to hand over a substantial portion of the produce to them when the British colonized India. In many areas they ruled through these local Jamindars. They also granted property rights to the Jamindars. Under the British the Jamindars were given more control over land than they had before. Since the colonizers also imposed a heavy land revenue on agriculture, the Jamindars extracted as much produce or money as they could out of the cultivators. One result of this Jamidari system was that agricultural production stagnated or declined during much of the period of British rule for peasants fleed from oppressive landlords and frequent famines and wars decimated the population. Many districts of colonial India were administered through the Jamindari system. In other areas, they were under the direct British rule had what was called the Rayatwari system of land settlement, Rayat means cultivator in Telugu, in this system, the Actual cultivators who were themselves often landlords and not cultivators rather than Jamindars were responsible for paying the tax. Because the colonial government dealt directly with the farmers or landlords rather than through the overlords, the burden of taxation was less and cultivators had more incentive to invest in agriculture. As a result, these areas became relatively more productive and prosperous. This background about land revenue administration in colonial India much of which you have learned in your history books is important to keep in mind when studying the agrarian structure of present-day India. This is because it is through a series of changes starting in this period that the current structure evolved. Now, let us move to the next point, Independent India. After India became independent, Nehru and his policy advisors embarked on the Program of planned development that focused on agrarian reform as well as industrialization. The policy makers were responding to the dismal agricultural situation in India at that time. This was marked by low productivity, dependence on imported food grains, and the intense poverty of a large section of the ruler population. They felt that a major reform in the agrarian structure and especially in the land holding system and the distribution of land was necessary if agriculture were to progress. From the 1950s to 1970s, a series of land reform laws were passed at the national level as well as in the states that were intended to bring about these changes. The first important legislation was the abolition of the Jamindari system which removed the layer of intermediaries who stood between the cultivators and the state. Of all the land reform laws that were passed this was probably the most effective for in most areas it succeeded in taking out the superior rights of the jamidars over the land and weakening their economic and political power this did not happen without a struggle of course but ultimately the effect was to strengthen the position of the actual landholders and cultivators at the local level. However, Jamindari abolition did not wipe out land ordism or the tenancy or sharecropping systems, which continued in many areas. It only removed the top layer of landlords in the multi layered agrarian structure. Among the other major land reform laws that were introduced were the Tenancy Abolition and Regulation Acts. They attempted either to outlaw tenancy altogether or to regulate rents to give some security to the tenants. In most of the states, these laws were never implemented very effectively. In West Bengal and Kerala, there was a radical restructuring of agrarian structure that gave land rights to the tenants. The third major category of land reform laws were the Land Sealing Act. These laws imposed a upper limit on the amount of land that can be owned by a particular family. The ceiling varies from reason to reason, depending on the kind of land, its productivity and other such factors. Very productive land has a low ceiling while the unproductive dry land has a higher ceiling limit according to these acts the state is supposed to identify and take possession of surplus land about a ceiling limit held by each household and redistribute it to the landless families and households in other specified categories such as sc and sts but in most of the states, these acts proved to be toothless. There were many loopholes and other strategies through which most landowners were able to escape from having their surplus land taken over by the state. While some were very large estates were broken up, in most cases, landowners managed to divide the land among relatives and others, including servants in so-called Benami transfers, which allowed them to keep control over the land, in fact, if not in name. In some places, some rich farmers actually divorced their wives, but continue to live with them, in order to avoid the provision of the land sealing act which allowed a separate share for unmarried women but not for wives. The agrarian structure varies greatly across India and the progress of land reforms had also been uneven across the states. On the whole however it can be said that the agrarian structure although it has changed substantially from colonial time to the present remains highly unequal. This structure puts constraints on agricultural productivity. Land reforms are necessary not only to boost agricultural growth but also to eradicate poverty in rural areas and bring about social justice. Now, let us wind up the session and thank you very much for engaging yourself with the self-learning podcast.